So, big picture. We see that the first 10 or 11 chapters basically consists of the first uh, section of the book of Genesis. And, and it starts with the creation of the world leading up to uh, the, the destruction of the, of the known world and the flood of Noah. And now, uh, what we're hap- where we are right now in chapter 10 is they're, they're off the boat and we have the three sons of Noah and his wives, they're going to repopulate the earth. And so chapter 10 is the most detailed account of any genealogy on the face of earth. And it's an amazing historical document. You have 70 nations, 70 nations that are coming from these three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And it gives a detail here of, of, of who these people are. So we're going to quickly go through this. I'm not going to go in, into extreme depth on this. But it says in chapter 10, verse 1, this is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the floods. And then it goes on. It says the sons of Japheth. So they're going to talk about the sons and each of the sons that they had and the tribes that came from them. And so, for example, in verse 2, it says the sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Medai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. And so the sons of, sons of Japheth, well, I'm not going to go into detail about each single, every single one of these people and the tribes and the nations and the people groups they represent, which we could. Uh, I will just do first, the first few here uh, in the line of Japheth to give you an idea of how deep this can go. Um, if you look at, like, Japheth, Gomer, uh, many believe that linguistically that matches up with Germany. And uh, Magog is a, a derivative of Moscow. And so you have these people who are, might be coming from the, the northern tribe, so to speak, uh, coming from the line of Japheth. But I'm not going to go into all that detail. If you want to do that, you can study that. I can give you notes on that. Um, but the main idea here in chapter 10 is there are 70 nations that are listed that are repopulating the earth after the flood. And each one of these names, again, has significance in the ancient world. And so you're looking at these names that are crazy to us, but people would go, oh, yeah, we understand those people. And, and from time to time, one will pop up that looks similar uh, to uh, a modern date, like Egypt is straight out Egypt. This guy named Egypt, we know that Egypt is named after that person. Well, uh, we know that nations get renamed after different political leaders. How the, there is uh, a linguistic link through all these nations with their language. And so that's how they tie it together. Like, uh, if you look at, uh, well, well, we'll get there in just a few minutes. But for our time this morning, I'm only going to go over a few details in chapter 10 about a few groups. And so verse 2 begins, the son of J- Japheth, who are Gomer, Magog, Medai, uh, Juval, Tubal, uh, Meshach, and, and Tiras. And verse 3 says, the sons of Gomer. And it talks about these interesting people. And which I'm not going to read off all their names, but verse 5 says, From these maritime peoples spread out into their territories by their clans within their nation, each, each with its own language. Now, verse 5 says that each of these seafaring clans had their own language and spread out to their territories. Real quickly, when you, chapter, you turn to chapter 11, what does it say? Verse 1 says, Now the whole world had one language. So you're going, okay, the Bible contradicts itself, right? What's going on here? They just said that all these different people had different languages. And here you get to chapter 11, verse 1, it says, no, they all, everybody spoke the same language. 
what is happening here is that the Bible is not always chronological. In chapter 10's case, the purpose is to document the seven nations that would be repop that that we know after uh, the Tower of Babel, where the angel, where the uh, languages got divided. So chapter 10 tells that that story of of who these tribes will be. Chapter 11 tells that significant event of all the nations, how they got divided up. And then chapter 12 zeroes in on one of those nations, Abraham. And that is that is uh, one of those nations coming from Abraham, uh, the nation of Israel, which is the whole Old Testament points to, right? And we know that the big picture is that, that the, the reason why it's pointing to Abraham is because the Messiah comes from that eventually. And, we, and when you open up Matthew's genealogy, which I'll talk about just a tiny bit, you see Christ through all of this. So the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is weaving the lineage of Christ through these stories. He's narrowing it down. And so here in chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, it documents the sons and the grandsons of Japheth. Uh, and so now I'm going to go through each of these names. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, in, in verse 6 it says the sons of Ham, the second son. So he had Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. And so uh, Ham, the descendants of these people, were populated Africa in the Far East. And so I know that's really fun, but we can see Egypt um, there and some put in Canaan. Those things are familiar biblical terms. Uh, verse 7, and it talks about the sons of Cush. So it starts describing each one of these people. And specifically, when the Bible points out one of these names and gives us a detail, I want to go into it just for a second. And it says in verse 8, it says, Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. And he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And this is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Thank you for the clarification. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and uh, Kalna in Shinar. And so Nimrod, he was a mighty warrior on the earth. The Bible is pointing out this guy for a reason. Uh, he was a mighty warrior on the earth, but not in a good way. He ruled over Babel, which would be Babylon, right? Eventually, it's the first organized rebellion of humans against God. His name, Nimrod itself, it means let us rebel. So when you call someone a Nimrod, it's because they're rebellious, right? Like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And so this is, saying, this is a saying that developed because of Nimrod's actions and because of his character. The context shows that it's not a compliment. It's not a compliment. Uh, the idea and the context shows uh, that Nimrod was an offense before the face of God. And so uh, there's some different commentaries. I want to read just one by Boyce. He says, uh, this is not about Nimrod's ability to hunt wild game. He was not a hunter of animals. He was a hunter of men, a warrior. It was through his ability to fight and kill and rule ruthlessly that his kingdom of the Euphrates Valley's city-states was consolidated. And so he was one of the first world dictators, Nimrod. And we'll see that in chapter 11. That's why it points him out, because it's under his leadership that they come to Babel. But Ginsburg quotes from a Jewish legend, and of course, take these with a grain of salt, please. It says, The great success that attended all of Nimrod's undertakings produced a sinister effect. Men no longer trusted in God, but rather in their own prowess and ability, an ability to which Nimrod tried to convert the whole world. And so this guy was a mighty hunter of men. He was a warrior. 
and all these types of things. Um, ultimately, the first world leader will be similar to the last world leader, the Antichrist. And that's the, the connection there. I think Genesis, wherever you see a beginning, the revelation has the end of it. And so for more details on Nimrod and Babylon, you can check out our study through Revelation chapter 17 and 18 specifically. It's online. So uh, verse 15 through 20 speaks of the rest of the descendants of Ham under Canaan. And you're going to recognize some of those names, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Parasites, and all these other people. Uh, verse 20... <clears throat> Yeah, verse 21. Uh, sons were also born to Shem. So this is the third son, whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber and the sons of Shem, Elam, Ashur, uh, Arphaxad, Lud, and Aram. Now it goes on to explain the rest of the descendants. We're not going to get into that, but the one you want to underline there is Arphaxad because that is where Abram comes from, and we will get to that a little bit later. Verse 32. These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to the lines of, the, of, uh, of descent within their nations. And from these, the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. Chapter 10, done. Pretty amazing, huh? Maybe she, we, I know you guys want me to do that every time, but no. <laughs> Chapter 11 is going to tell us why and how these nations spread out. So chapter 11, a significant reason uh, why there are different people groups here. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar. Who is the person who set up these cities in Shinar? Nimrod, right, you bet. And they settled there. Now, we just got done reading about Nimrod and his leadership. Verse 3, and they said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Wonderful. And they used bricks instead of stone. That's a time indicator. It lets you know that they're using bricks and not stone. And tar for mortar. Verse 4, and then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, many of you were in our Genesis class, and we made some observations on this, this section. Uh, the first is that term, let us. Let us. All the people, all the people gather get together, and they, they had this unity. This term, let us, speaks of unity. They were unified in what? Yeah, rebellion was at the heart of it. But... Look at what they said. They're unified in making bricks. That's wonderful. But why were they making bricks? Let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches heaven. Why? So that they may make a name for ourselves, that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They were unified in making a name for themselves. What did God want them to do? What did God tell him? What did he tell Adam? Be fruitful, multiply, and spread out. Go have dominion over the earth. Go. Okay? We get to Noah. Noah gets off the boat. What does he say to him? Be fruitful, multiply, populate the earth. I want you to go. I want you to go out. Whose name were these people supposed to be representing? 
They were made in his image. They were to be his reflection. To go. Whose name was to be made great? God's name. Why are you here? Why did God create you? Maybe to make his name known? You're to reflect him? It's very interesting when you have the disciples and you have a resurrected Christ and he speaks to his disciples. What does he tell them? He tells them to wait till the Holy Spirit, right? But what is the Great Commission? Go into where? So what do you think the original mission was? <laughs> what do you think the mission is for us? Spread God's word wherever you are. That is why you exist, to make his name great. That is your purpose. That is our purpose at our church. It's not Matt Community Fellowship. Oh, Lord forbid. <laughs> Christ. His name, great. And that's saying something. To make his name known. To go into all the world and to preach the gospel. <laughs> same mission on day one. Here we are, day whatever. Same mission. Did you know that I know you know this, but this is rhetorical, obviously. Did you know that your actions, you know, what you do with your time, your money, your family, your resources, reflect your beliefs? They reflect who you are and what you believe about yourself and why you are here? That's what our body is supposed to do. It's supposed to reflect our spirit, right? It's our mechanism for expression, And the things we do and can do are an expression of what happens inside of us. Do they not? All these things? The people in Genesis 11 here, they made bricks. Why did they make bricks? To build themselves a city with a tower that reaches in the heavens. Now, was that the chief goal? To make a house in a city? To make a tower that reaches the heavens, so what? What's the purpose behind of why they did what they did? To make for themselves a name, a great name, lest they be scattered, lest they go into all the world. You see, they're in rebellion to what God had commanded. <coughs> Whose kingdom are we building? Whose kingdom are you building today? It's reflected in your actions. Your beliefs about who you are and why you are are reflected in the way you use your time, your resources, your family, your money, all these things. They show who you are. I lived in San Diego, and many of you have taken a drive to Seattle where you can see towers built to heaven with what on them? Names. <laughs> Nothing wrong with, you know, building a company and having names and all that stuff. But do you see our, our pursuit, you know, in our, in our hearts is to put a name, is to have recognition. 
I've talked to you about it before. Even churches, you know, it's all about the name of the church, and sometimes it's not about Christ. Or we say it's about Christ, but ultimately it's about the name of a church or a name of a community of people. When I want people to know him. And how does he know him? Obviously through his people, through his word, through creation. But, you know, the heart of sinful man is is to make a name for himself, not for Christ. You know, I don't have a building. You don't need a building. Why do you make bricks? Nothing wrong with making bricks to build a house, to have a family, to have all these things. There's nothing wrong with those things. But ultimately, our hearts reflect. But what do we do with our time? You know, what do we do with these things? Who is first? And I, and I, ch- I challenge you because I'm being challenged like crazy on this. You know? What are we building and what are we building upon? This is my, this is my question. Church, you're here to make known the name of Jesus Christ, not your own. We exist to worship and to proclaim Christ crucified, not to build our name. And I wrote down, uh, we have died to Nimrod and his leadership and have chosen to declare Jesus as Lord of all. You know, and this speaks of unity. What are we unified in? We can have unity and it can be totally off. We must be unified under him. His word. Did you know that, that his name is what we're to declare? But do you know what God even places above his name? His word is above his name. That's a different economy. Talk about branding, you know, name recognition. His word is above his name. How important should that be in our lives? Jesus talks about what kind of life we build and what we build it upon. Do we build our lives upon our words and our ways and our kingdom, or do we build our lives upon his words? And Jesus lays those things out. says, if you build in a certain way, if you build on anything other than me, great is the destruction. But if you build upon my words, man, the same storms are going to come, but you will survive. You're built upon the rock. So it's a challenge to us. So what do we need to have in our lives? His word. And, I was in, and we were reading those chapters about, uh, you know, spiritual leadership, and it talks about, you know, quite often uh, leaders or, or people making decisions, they, they go to God with a quick prayer, oh, God, help me, in a moment of crisis, which we should. Like Jesus is saying, I want my word to be in you so much it affects your decision-making that you, your default is to go back to my word for the answer. Your default is to go to prayer for the answer. Your default in, in, in guiding your life and your decisions and how you should go should be my word. Because the default for us is not. It's the way of Nimrod, so to speak. And we can become Nimrods. You know, I have a case in point right here, you know. It says that the Lord intervened in verse 5. It says, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. Now, obviously, God is, you know, it's not like he's surprised that they're building this. He saw it, but this is for our benefit. 
Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Boy, you know, I'll talk about that in a second, but it says, come let us go down, verse 7. God says, come let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And the Lord here also uses the term let us. It's in contrast to man. So the, the counsel of the Holy Trinity again. God, the three in one, let us go down and confuse their language. And so, verse 8, the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth. And they stopped building the city. And that is why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And so God thwarted man's plan by confusing their language. And obviously, no communication. You don't have unity if you're not communicating. No unity, nothing can be built. And I think that's a lesson that we can learn from if we reverse engineer that. You know, we're to be unified under Christ. We're going to have godly communication, talking back and forth with one another. We're to be getting our DNA, our plans from His Word. When you come to a life situation where you are having a struggle, we are to be going to the examples that God set in Scripture about what these other brothers and sisters in times past went through and how God worked in their life for the answer. We're to be going to the words of Christ to say, God, what do I do in this situation? And he will speak. He has spoken. And the Spirit will meet you where you are. But how many of us don't want to take the time to do that? I praise God that I have to study for you every week. You know what I mean? It's so much easier to Google the answer. It's so much easier to, you know, whatever it is. God wants you to walk with them day after day to give you the, to, to speak to your heart, line it up with this word, and to be leading and guiding you so that you are building his kingdom, right? We're to be unified, not in our plan, but in Christ. We're to be building upon the rock, obviously the, word of, the, word of, the words of Christ. We're to be doing His will, which is declaring His name. And not just in words, it should be reflection of who we are and our priorities and how we act in circumstances. So this week, my challenge to you is to ask yourself, what am I here for? And don't answer that. Go seek God on it. Go find out why you're here. Don't just go, I'm here to do this because I... Go ask. Go find out your creator. Why are you here? How is this reflected in what I do with my time and resources? A life built upon God's word is difficult. It's easier to build upon what comes naturally to man's self, right? Ask your Father in heaven for wisdom. Does he not want to pour out wisdom upon you, James says? Come to me if you don't know. I want to give you wisdom. I don't want you going to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want you to come to me. Let me pour it out to you. Open the scriptures. Read the teachings of Christ. And like I said, we make it a lot more complicated. Read it and do it. Read it and do it. God, God says, if you love me, then you will obey my commands. And this is my command that you love one another. 
How is that love expressed? Well, Jesus talks about it all through the Beatitudes and all through his teachings. How, can, how is the love of God expressed? And he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We shouldn't be stressing about this. Lord, what do I do? Don't know what to do. That's okay not to know what to do. Godly counsel, match it against his word, and we walk in it. We walk in faith. God tells us to do something that's contrary to what we think we should do. You do what he says and not what you think you should do. That's the life of a Christian. That's where God's power is shown in the life of a disciple. That's where God does starts to do stuff that's bigger than this church and what we can do with our organizing of our armies. When people go, wow, God is doing some really neat stuff in those lives and look how much they're hurting or look how much they've gone through or whatever's going through. You can just see God in them. And I see that in you guys. And I want to encourage you this week to pursue the voice of the Lord. And so, uh, you will not be laboring in vain because Christ is the builder and we're his instruments that he loves very much. So let him, him use you this week. Go to him. Encourage you every week. And so let's pray. I'm going to keep this one short today. Father, we, we lift up your, your word, Lord, and we lift up this scenario where men gather together and to build a name for themselves. Lord, it's in our DNA to do that. We are all Nimrods at heart. And yet, your son came to die for us and to give us new life and to make us new creations. So, Father, I pray that as, uh, as we're here in your presence, that you would speak to us about what we're building and that you'd help us to correct course where needed. It's a difficult road, Lord. It's narrow. I pray that you would encourage your, your, your body today, your church, to continue to seek you. And I pray that you would speak to them this week, Lord, as they need you, as I need you. We love you. We thank you for the opportunity to fellowship with one another. As, uh, great opportunity today, Father. Will you bless us as we go and picnic together as we have koinonia? Would you uh, keep anybody from having heat stroke? And uh, bless the food, Father, and just all the people who are preparing things. And We just love you. Thank you for the goodness you poured out on us. Help us to love one another in a new way today. In the name of Jesus, amen. So, um, verse 10 through 32 gets us to Abraham which is chapter 12 next week. And so we'll begin the second part of Genesis next week. God bless you guys. We'll see you at College Place, Lions Park, right? Okay, cool.